Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 241. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, pleased to be joined by a first-timer, Dr. Nate Zinser. Nate, how's it going? Wonderful, Steve. Thanks so much for inviting me. So you are a guest that I'm very excited to be talking about. I actually had your book on my Audible wish list for quite a while, and a mutual friend in our community had strongly encouraged that we all jump in and read this. So we've got a little jujitsu book club, and we got going on that. I think I'm about halfway through the book right now. I absolutely love it, especially for this sport, but I don't want to steal your thunder. So why don't you go ahead and give yourself an intro and talk about the book too, just so that people know what we're going to be discussing today. Sure. The title of the book is The Confident Mind, and I wrote it as a guidebook, a very practical guidebook so that athletes and performers of all different stripes and shapes and sizes and colors could learn the truth about confidence as opposed to some of the common misconceptions, could learn how to build up their confidence and how to make sure that their confidence lasts despite setbacks and difficulties, which we all encounter, and then how to bring your confidence to the mat. Bring your confidence to a competition. Bring your confidence to an encounter and give yourself the best possible chance to win. That's what the book's about. That's why I set out to complete it. I have spent 30 years mentoring cadets and officers at the U.S. Military Academy. I have a background in combat sports, state wrestling champion, senior black belt in Japanese karate. I love getting on the mat and rolling. I love punching people out. So the opportunity to interact with a fellow martial arts crowd is is really great. Thanks a lot, Steve. I'm loving this already. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming by. Like I said, I absolutely love the book. I love how actionable and practical it is. A lot of the time you read books like this and they're kind of, you know, a little bit woo-woo or maybe there's just nothing to particularly latch onto, but your book right from the get-go is just very actionable. It's very much a playbook, I think, on how to build confidence. And as I was telling you about before we started recording, one of the funny things about jujitsu is you've got these two swaths of people who participate in the sport. You've got the vast majority of people who are hobbyists and they just do this for fun. And then you've got the pros, people who do their best to try to make a living out of this one way or the other. And from my experience, both groups of people have major confidence issues. 
for different reasons. I mean, for hobbyists, mostly just because, you know, when you get in there and you're sparring with people who do this professionally, you're probably going to have a bad time. Some of the times if you're expecting to win, it's just hard to beat someone who does this pro when you don't. But even the pros often battle with this a lot. And I've had many behind the scenes conversations with pros and even some on the podcast here where they've been quite open about their battles with confidence. So Tell me a little bit about this. I mean, you talked about confidence myths, things that people think confidence is all about, but they're wrong. What are some of those myths and how do people misunderstand what confidence is all about? Oh, there there are plenty of myths about the subject, Steve. I think some of the most important ones is that, you know, confidence might be misunderstood as something that you're just born with. It's a genetic quality and that couldn't be further from the truth. Confidence is a quality, you can think of it as a skill, something that you develop with practice the same way you develop your skill, you know, with a headlock or an arm bar or a choke, you develop it with practice. And if you ignore it, well, your skill will erode, but if you work it, your skill improves. And you have to think of confidence as the same way. It's not a function of what you're born with, it's a function of how you think. I think secondly, very importantly, confidence is sometimes thought of as something that you, you know, you have across the board. Oh, he's a confident individual, which means he's confident in everything in his life. That couldn't be further from the truth. Confidence is very situation specific. I can be very confident on the mat, but very insecure when it comes to social settings or academic settings or or what have you. I can even be very secure and confident and certain about one part of my jujitsu game. Oh, I'm really good with this. I'm really good with that. Really comfortable with this. Love, you know, the top position. Love the bottom position. Very comfortable here. Oh, but these other things I'm very insecure about. The good news is that you can cultivate confidence and develop this quality in any aspect of your life that you choose. Once you know a few simple thinking habits and you're disciplined enough to work those habits over and over again. Third misconception is that once you become confident, you stay that way forever. Sorry, folks. Confidence is really fragile. You can build it and have it and it can suddenly crash on you unless you protect it. And I think lastly, maybe most importantly, is this wonderful misunderstanding about the relationship between success or competence and confidence. The idea is that if you have a lot of success under your belt, no pun intended for martial artists, if you have a lot of confidence under your belt, you've gotten a lot of good feedback, well then darn it, your confidence is pretty much guaranteed. If that were the case, I probably would be out of a job. I'd like a nickel for every time somebody's walked into my office and say, Dr. Zinser, I'm really struggling with my confidence. And I say, okay, well, where do you think confidence comes from? How come you don't have any? And they say, well, you know, confidence comes from having a whole lot of success. And I say, okay, tell me about yourself. And they proceed to tell me stories about how they were a two-time, you know, all-state athlete, captain of their team, leading scorer, this and that, all kinds of confidence but they don't have any confidence. And it's like, wait a minute, man. Maybe you just told me that it comes from success. You just told me about all your success, but you don't have any. Maybe it actually comes from how you think about your success and whether you internalize your success and acknowledge it or whether you just sort of discount it and consider it to be 
insufficient. Yeah, I did that, but it doesn't matter now. No, that's a that's a mental decision you're making on for yourself, and it's hurting your sense of certainty. All right. Relatedly is the question of, okay, if things go wrong, if I experience setbacks, does that mean my confidence automatically goes down? And the answer is, well, only if you let it. The big moral of the story, ladies and gents, is that confidence isn't about what happens to you. It's about how you think about what happens to you. It's about what you choose to remember, what you choose to linger on, how you respond emotionally to the ups and downs, to the ins and outs, to the highs and lows of life. So that, you know, Steve is just a quick rundown of some of the major misconceptions. Yeah. I love how you're bringing up that confidence is, it's a habit, right? It's a muscle. It's not a something that you're born with and you've either got it or you don't, but it's an attribute much like your strength or your cardio that you have to work on. And I think in jujitsu, which is still a very young sport, people are just now starting to understand the importance of the mental game. A friend of mine who's been on the show before is Nick Perler, the head coach at Perler Wrestling Academy, which is one of the biggest wrestling academies in America. And he's talked quite a bit about confidence and mental gatekeeping and self-talk and how to think positively. And one of the things that he said, which I absolutely love, and it kind of aligns with what you've said, is you should dwell on your wins and shake off your losses. And that's a great way to think of yourself. And I think probably the just the straight opposite of how most people evaluate themselves. Yes. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. There are social forces in our culture, which, as you put it, really encourages us to hang on to the memory of setbacks, failures, losses, etc., under the mistaken impression that somehow that is going to fire us up and motivate ourselves to try harder and try better. I would urge anybody listening to this podcast to honestly ask yourself a question. What makes you more excited to go out and work on your skills or work on your strength, work on your cardio? What makes you more excited about that? Thinking about your losses, your setbacks, your inadequacies, your imperfections, or thinking about your wins, thinking about your progress, thinking about an exciting future that you want. I think that's a pretty easy question to answer. If I think about what I want more of, well, I'm more inclined to go after it. If I think about, oh gosh, I got beat, I let this go, and I start beating myself up, I'm going to be actually less energized, less motivated. But unfortunately, that cultural, social messaging exists. And ladies and gentlemen, let's fight against that and let's come out on top of it. Well, let's put a finger on where that comes from. I think now, granted, I am at the point now where I'm into my 40s and I can start talking like an old guy. So <laughs> I can say, you know, back in my day, we didn't have things like social media. And I think social media is a big part of that. It is very easy to get just a, a totally misconceived understanding of what people's lives are like based on how they choose to curate themselves on social media. I've been under the impression that that's probably a big part of where people's confidence is shaken, right? You look and you see other people put their their life highlight reels out there. Your instinct is to compare that to yourself, and that's always going to make you feel bad. I would want to hear from you as to whether there's any other triggers or things that you've identified as just places that you know you should avoid because they tend to hurt your confidence in your mental game. Well, uh, you're dead on that social media does have the risk 
of comparison, constant comparison to somebody else's idealized life. We have to realize that social media isn't necessarily reality. It's like you say, it's highly curated. It's managed, you know? It's not the real thing. You know, way before social media, there was still this theme in, you know, American middle-class culture. Work hard, pay attention to your weaknesses, and you're eventually going to succeed. Okay, now, there's a certain truth to that, but that's not the whole enchilada. That's not the total solution, you know? What I refer to as a workhorse mentality that ability to, you know, get your butt out of bed and get to the gym and get to the mat and do your work. Well, yeah, that you, you got to be a good workhorse. That builds up your physical skills. That basically gets you to the starting line of a competition or a performance. In order to be as good as you can be in that competition or in that performance, it's time to step aside from the workhorse mentality. I got to put in the reps. I got to become good. Now you have to shift to more of a racehorse, for lack of a better term. I'm as good as I can be. Let's go find out how fast I can run, how hard I can hit, how slick I can be on the mat. But we don't necessarily teach that shift of consciousness. We teach work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. And then when you're done with your performance, really emphasize to yourself where you messed up, Really think about your corrections and don't spend a lot of time thinking about the progress you made, the good moves you had, the good points that you made, because that's just going to make you complacent and lazy. Nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Something that we've said on our podcast before is we've told people that they should prioritize the building and the maintenance of good habits over the chasing of results. Mm -hmm. Results can be ephemeral and they don't always tell the whole story. I mean, if you go into a, a top tier jujitsu competition, there might be a hundred other people in there competing with you for that championship. It's a zero sum game. Only one of you is going to walk away. So that means, you know, if a hundred people go in, 99 are going to come out disappointed. And if your entire identity is wrapped around, I have to get that result, you run the risk of popping your confidence bubble. You know, you might go in confident because you expect to win, but then what happens when it doesn't go your way? And look, statistically speaking, even if you're an incredible athlete, it's never going to go your way 100% of the time. And where I think you want to avoid being is one of those athletes who looks unkillable and unbeatable until their confidence shatters and then they're just never yeah. the same, right? And I think about that a lot and I, I would want to know your thoughts on this. How do you preserve and maintain your confidence even when you might not have that gold medal to your name? Well, well, yeah, I think the perspective that you described initially is really, really important. Do you define yourself solely by your competition victories? Or do you define yourself more by the quality of effort that you bring every day and the quality of confidence and presence in the moment that you bring to basically every minute that you're on the mat, okay? Like you say, there's only one gold medalist, but you can be extremely proud of how well you competed. Did you compete free of fear? Did you go all out to win? Or did you hesitate and hold back and worry that, okay, maybe this is not the right time to shoot? Oh gosh, I'm not sure what to do here. Or were you almost sort of 
maniacally automatic and unconscious and just stringing together move after move after move after move. Boy, if you did that, you probably gave yourself the best possible chance to win. And that's what you can be proud of because ultimately that's the only thing that you can control. You don't control how good your opponent is. You don't control how well he or she, you know, has prepared and what he or she has in their bag of tricks. You know, there's all kinds of other variables, time clock, officials, you said it. You don't control those, but you totally control yourself. And it's very important that you bring the best version of yourself minute by minute. In a jujitsu competition, it's really move by move, you know, two or three seconds at a time. Am I in the moment or am I thinking, oh, what's this mean? How should I do this? That, that, that. And now you're sort of reflecting on your experience, talking to yourself while you're trying to be loose and free and reactive the way great athletes need to be. Yeah. I am certainly no great athlete myself, but I can very much relate to what you've said there. Sometimes you go in there and you're training and you're in your own head and you're just not feeling it that day or you know, you, you grip up with someone and right out of the gate, you just feel like I just don't have this, or maybe you're just doubting yourself. Very easy to have that happen. But then the good days are the days where you go in and you're in that flow state and things just happen. Right. And it just feels great. You can make yourself a lot more flow friendly. I don't know if you can just sort of switch on the flow state, like you can, you know, put like putting on a new pair of shoes, but you can certainly make yourself more friendly, more accessible to that flow state. You can make it more likely that it's going to take over, okay? I mean, you can definitely be of the mindset, I'm going to get out of my mind, I'm going to get into my senses. Lose your mind, come to your senses. Feel the grip rather than thinking about, oh, how should I be gripping? I feel it, I'm moving. I'm allowing the senses to sort of take over. And if you cultivate your confidence, if you spend a lot of time thinking about the best parts of your technique, if you spend time reminding yourself of how far you've come, what you've learned, how you can move, then you allow that certainty, that almost magical state of flow you you give it a much better chance of coming into your life. I do have to say this, Steve, as far as, you know, negativity in human beings goes. You know, we're basically sophisticated apes. We wear clothes, we use computers, we drive cars. But for the vast, 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 vast majority of our existence on this planet, human beings lived a very uncertain hunter-gatherer tribal life. And for hundreds of thousands of years, our existence was rather precarious. So as a survival mechanism, human beings have developed this tendency to, you know, kind of, you're kind of looking over your shoulder a lot. You know, I'm a little bit worried. In a way, that's a survival mechanism. It keeps you alert to danger. Okay. But we have to realize that in this day and age, our survival is relatively certain. You know, we don't have to worry about where we're going to find fresh water for most of us. Uh, you know, at least in the industrialized Western world, we're very fortunate. But there's still that sort of primitive survival mechanism that will bring in, oh, what if this? Oh, what if that? And we have to be self-aware enough to know when those understandably negative thoughts are coming in 
recognize them, stop them, and replace them with something that's a little more constructive, a little more useful in the moment. So anybody out there who's saying, well, yeah, I just have a lot of negative thoughts. What's the matter with me? Well, there's nothing the matter with you. You're just human, okay? But you don't have to be a slave to those negative thoughts. You can decide to recognize them or acknowledge them, stop them because they don't serve you any real constructive purpose at the moment, and then substitute something else that's a little more helpful in its place. We can all do that. Every human being has free will to do that. The more we exercise it, the better chance we have to do well at the sports, games, professions that we love. Simple as that. And as difficult as that, I might say. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually what I wanted to ask you about next. Something you talked about in the book, which really hit home base for me, was you talked about how it is a mistake to try to create positive self-talk for yourself by thinking in the opposite about negatives. So for example, if I sit here and I keep thinking to myself, don't screw up, Steve, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. I mean, that might sound on the surface like I'm thinking positively, but I'm not really. I'm actually thinking about a negative and I'm just trying to avoid it. But the problem is, the more I think about it, it's that whole don't think of a pink elephant thing, right? If I tell you that, you can't help but think of the pink elephant. And so if I'm sitting there trying to negate things and say, don't do this, don't don't think negative thoughts, Steve, it's just going to make it harder for me to avoid it. And you had some great advice in the book about that. I'd love to maybe unpack your suggestions for how to avoid falling into that trap. The advice is very simple. Think about what you want. Think about what you want. Move your feet. Keep your hands up. Control his center. Move your feet. Keep your hands up. Control the center. Think about what you want, okay? Your body is going to do pretty much what your brain is full of. So if your brain is full of the thoughts, hands up, feet moving, explosiveness, and you have pictures of that in your in that wonderful video studio between your ears, if that's what your brain is full of, your body is likely to do that. So you are going to have to recognize, uh uh-oh, I'm thinking negatively, stop doing that. But then you have to deliberately go to what you want. Go to what you want. And it's easy to do that if you have been storing up a nice reservoir of constructive memories, you know? At the end of your workouts, do you give yourself credit for a good rep at this drill, for a good rep at that drill? Are you going to look at yourself at the end of the workout and say, hmm, I gave really good effort here. I got this particular move right for the first time. I seem to be making progress in, you know, top position. I seem to be making progress in getting wrist control, working to a stand-up, etc., etc. I'm throwing in a little wrestling terminology because that's what I'm most familiar with. But, but you get the point, okay? The only way you can get out of, oh, don't do this, the negative thinking is think more about what you want. Think more about what you want. And I can't tell you, Steve, how many times just that simple as advice has changed the lives of competitors in the sports world, in the medical world, in the business world. Think about what you want. Reflect on effort, success, and progress because your body delivers, your body gives back to you 
that which your brain is full of. Fill your brain with what you want more of. Now, are there any best practices for doing that? Is it as simple as after the workout, you spend five seconds just self-reflecting? Or do you recommend something more formal, like maybe journaling or, you know, just some sort of visualization practice? I recommend semi-formal journaling sometime between the end of your workout and when you go to bed at night, you know, and it's uh, it's semi-formal, but it's not real time consuming. Okay. I call it my daily ESP, effort, success, progress. Where did I put in good effort? What part of today's practice did I bear down and work hard? Maybe it was a drill that I, I'm not particularly fond of, but I grinded through it anyway. Where's the episode of quality effort? Just identify that. Write it down. E for effort. If this was a video presentation, I would show you journal entries from people who have practiced this. Where did I put in effort? Second S, success. What did I get right? What did I get right? I worked this choke perfectly on this individual, okay? I successfully defended against a leg attack. I successfully escaped from this. Even if it's a small thing, it's still a success. Take note of it. Again, that is what you want more of, isn't it? Of course. And thirdly, P for progress. What am I getting better at? What parts of the game or what attributes, qualities do I seem to be getting at based on what happened today and maybe what happened yesterday and the day before? Daily ESP, okay? And for all of you out there who are thinking, well, that's just letting yourself off the hook, Doc. You're not, you're not being tough enough, mean with yourself. I'll say, okay, you can take ESP and go to ESPN, N standing for next, meaning what are you going to get after next time you're on the mat? What little thing is sort of itching you? You know, you got a little fire under your butt because I want to get that guy with that technique or I want to get better at this. So you can go ESPN as a way of reflecting on any given practice session, any given workout. That's how you kind of build up this reservoir of confidence building thoughts. And if you want to, you can take the same process and execute it within the practice session, within the workout, because you're going to go and you're going to warm up and you're going to do a drill and you're going to get a bunch of reps in a drill. And then it's time to change to another drill. Well, why don't you just reflect on the reps of the drill that you just completed? Single out the best rep. Single out that best rep and linger on it for just a second as you transition from the end of that drill to the start of the next drill. Do the next drill. The end of that drill, this is literally a two to five second reflection. What was my best rep? Yeah, I got that. Okay. Again, that is what you want more of. You know, and you know, the educational literature is pretty clear about this. You know, what you think about, what you take away from at any given experience is going to linger with you and is going to have a powerful effect later on. So filter each drill within practice and then filter the whole darn practice with the ESPN format. And that is a way of effectively managing your memories. So you collect, like I've been saying, this sort of storehouse or repository of quality, constructive, energizing thoughts. Nice, nice. I I really like that example because 
in addition to building confidence, you're talking about something that's going to set you up with that uh, Kaizen loop where you're always looking at what you did and trying to figure out how can I continuously improve and be better next time. So it kind of serves a few different masters there. And there's a lot of reasons to do something like that. Absolutely. We are going to set ourselves on a constructive loop or a destructive loop because everything we think affects our emotions. Our emotions really affect our bodies, blood flow, muscle tension, uh, hormone production, and everything we do as human beings, we do within our bodies. Even something as you know precise as typing a keyboard or taking a physics exam, we do it in our bodies. And you're either going to be on a successful loop. I'm thinking constructively, so I feel a little at ease. That opens up my body, that relaxes my muscles, that stimulates the blood flow. Hence, I have the best possible chance of doing well. Or I'm going to be thinking, I'm going to be worried. I'm going to be doubting myself. I'm going to be anticipating disasters. That creates an emotional state of worry and doubt that is going to tighten the muscles, reduce the blood flow, shrink the vision down to tunnel instead of open wide. That contributes to suboptimal execution. You're, you're going to be on one or, one or the other of those cycles. And the only question is, which one are you on most of the time? And which one are you on when it matters? When you step onto the mat to deliver Take your pick, folks. <laughs> well, here's something else I want to ask you. I mean, you talked about the importance of reflection and building up that kind of mental piggy bank of confidence and accumulating those good thoughts, reflecting on those good thoughts. That's mostly a reflection on things that have already happened. But I know that another thing that you mention in your book is the idea of affirmations of things that maybe haven't happened yet but that you would like to happen. And you, you know, you hear these affirmations a lot, like I am a world champion. Well, maybe I haven't won that world championship yet, but I want to be. And so I create these affirmations for myself. Where do you stand on those affirmations where you're kind of visualizing something that has yet to pass? Is that a valuable practice too? It's a very valuable practice in a couple of ways. We all tell stories about ourselves to ourselves. We all have opinions, beliefs, expectations. We all have the sense of, I'm good at this. I'm not good at that. I'm slow in this situation. I am very effective in that situation. Those stories that we tell ourselves basically serve as bars to hit. They dictate energy and effort and enthusiasm. I mean, you ask any kid, well, what's your favorite, you know, what's your best subject in school? Oh, I like math. Okay which means that kid is going to bring a lot more energy to math assignments than she might to, I don't know, writing an English essay or something, all right? And the quality of effort that you bring is going to have a heck of a big impact on the results that you achieve. So the results that you achieve, which are a function of your effort, which is a function of your expectation and your belief, those results then become just a bare reflection of the belief that you started. This is called a self-fulfilling prophecy in, you know, psychology and sociology talk, and it operates in all of us all the time. Moral of the story is, how about thinking about what you want as if you already have it, even if you don't, you know? 
if you're not effective, say, with a front headlock or a particular takedown, why not think, why not tell yourself, my headlock works this way. I am quick on my feet. Why not talk to yourself about what you want? Because that kind of sets a new bar for yourself. And it encourages you to bring a quality level of effort and energy to that activity, which is going to make improvement in that activity all the more possible. So just by talking to yourself about what you want in the present tense, in affirmative language, is very powerful. And then when you attach to it, ah, a picture, an actual vision, I can see that. Oh, and I can actually feel my body moving in that way. It takes a little practice to get that in some situations. But if you're thinking about what you want, you're telling yourself about it, and then you're engaging that wonderful capacity of imagination that you have, you can have a powerful impact on your body. You know? I could get any member in your audience to start salivating seriously by getting them to think in detail about their favorite you know, dessert and how wonderful it tastes what it gets in your mouth. And wow, now my mouth is watering. And well, wait a minute, there's nothing in your mouth that's stimulating your salivary glands. It's just your own thoughts. Your thoughts actually change your nervous system and change your body in so many ways. So why not take advantage of that? I want to envision scoring points here. I want to envision getting out of that situation. The more I do that, the more I actually constructively work with the neural patterns that direct that skill. How far you can take this, we're just scratching the surface. We don't know how far we can take this capability. So we've really only acknowledged it, you know, for a couple decades now in Western psychology. Let's keep doing this. Well, let me ask you a follow-up to that. Something that I know a lot of people struggle with when it comes to those kinds of affirmations and visualizations is to some people, they'll say, it feels like I'm lying to myself. Or if they share it publicly, they'll say, it feels like I'm lying to people around me and it feels disingenuous. I mean, to give you an example, obviously, if I'm just thinking of my inside my own head. I mean, if I sit here and visualize, I am a world champion, right? To some extent, you know, that is a degree of, of self-delusion. And beyond that too, we live in a world now where, man, it's just so easy to call people out for things you disagree with. I know a lot of people, for example, who have won legitimate world championships, but then they'll say things like, ah, oh, well, you know what, Steve, I won the world championship in the 30 and up division. And I just don't think it's a legitimate world championship unless you win it in the 20 to 30 division. So I just can't call myself a world champion because of that. I mean, people put all of these limits around themselves in terms of being willing to self-promote even when it's true. So I know that when it comes to visualization, things that are not yet true, people sometimes really struggle with that because it feels like they're lying to themselves. But how do you help people who have that kind of limiting belief when it comes to affirmations? I work with people gradually to think about maybe what the next in their development or progress might be to affirm that, you know, little kids can be wonderfully creative. Oh, I'm going to be an oceanographer. I'm going to be an Olympic gymnast. I'm going to do this, you know, when they're 
four, five, and six years old, and then it becomes a lot harder because we start socializing them and start telling them how they should think. If I'm a be you know a relative novice at jujitsu, I may think, "Wow, it'd be really cool to you know earn my black belt and be a champion and da 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 da." -da. Well, maybe I just ought to affirm the next step in the sequence, you know, because oh boy, I really can't. I do feel like I'm lying to myself when I affirm something that's huge and grandiose. But maybe I can affirm, okay, I I improve my push-ups by five every week. I improve my cardiovascular fitness. I add a, a certain distance or a certain intensity to my workout. You know, I haven't done it yet, but I'm thinking about it in the present tense, and it's progressively acceptable on a certain level. I think that's truly important. And I think it is truly sad that your world champion buddies don't acknowledge. Okay, yeah, I am world master's champion. Okay, come on, dude. What's the matter with that? Yeah, but it's not the deal. Wait, are you lying to yourself by saying that you're a world champion? Or are you lying to yourself when you deny yourself that, you know? We got to face it, ladies and gentlemen, we all live in our own personal reality. We all live in our own subjectively created personal universe. And the only question, well, maybe not the only question, but the really important question is, is the universe that you live in working for you? Is the universe that you live in constructive to your own dreams and to the betterment of the world in general? I really happen to think that the world would be a better place if there were more happy people. And there would be more happy people if they acknowledged what they wanted and affirmed their progress and their potential to get it. Let's create that reality for yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I love that. I mean, the challenge that I have observed as I get older is, man, there are just so many people out there who will tell you that you can't do something, right? It's really easy to tell someone that they're not qualified or they're not good enough. And it's very easy to internalize and accept those as limitations. But the funny thing I've also found is a lot of the time there's people who will tell you that you can't do something, you're just not good enough. But then as soon as you actually do it, those people just shut up and you never hear from them again. It's like that paradox, you know, you're not good enough to do something until you do. And then suddenly, oh, you were good enough the whole time, right? People can, yeah, yeah they retroactively rewrite history a lot of the time. And it is an interesting paradox that people feel like I'm just not qualified, but that's the same situation that the champions were in until they were qualified. And the only thing that changed is they pulled it off one day. That's right. That's right. There are hundreds of sports writers and sports bloggers and prognosticators who say, okay, this team is going to win the World Series. Or, you know, who would have thought that the Denver Nuggets were going to win the NBA title? What were the, what were the, you know, the Vegas odds on that? Who picked them, you know, to win the NBA championship? I bet very few. And all the ones who said, oh, the Lakers are going to do it, or the Heat's going to do it, or the, the Golden State Warriors are going to win it. Okay, where are they now? They're not saying, yeah, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I blew it, I didn't have, my crystal ball wasn't working. No, those people completely shut up. They don't take, you know, there's no accountability as far as that goes. So please, ladies and gentlemen, do not listen to the so-called experts. 
<laughs> you know, you're the expert on you. Go be the best version of you possible. Yeah, yeah. Now, on that note, I am well aware of the fact that in jujitsu, you know, as I mentioned earlier, as we alluded to, a lot of people do this for fun and they don't necessarily have the desire to be world champion. They may never want to compete. Maybe they're just doing this because there's benefits to having a physical movement practice, right? And maybe they just don't want to feel bad about themselves. They're happy to just be relatively good, you know, relatively competent. They're not going to go out there and win at worlds or whatever. And they're fine with that. I count myself in that bucket. I, I don't compete. I do jujitsu because I love the practice. And I would love to know, cause I know that you've coached both top level performers, but also just regular people who don't play in that space. Is there a difference to how you have to teach confidence? If you're talking about someone who their goal is to be the best in the world Versus someone whose goal is to just be a regular person who's good at stuff. I mean, is there a way that you would teach them differently or is it really just exactly the same? It's more similar than it is different, Steve. It's the same perspectives on how you think. It's just the difference is the, I would say, the degree of urgency and necessity that we're talking about. If you're trying to get into the National Football League, you better be very serious about your skills. If you want to play weekend touch football, you don't have to be quite as serious about it. I think if you want to enjoy your touch football experience to the full degree that you could, well, let's go in there and let's be somewhat aggressive. Let's be confident. Let's immerse ourselves in the moment. That makes recreation wonderful. But if, again, you're going to really compete at a high level, then just as you build your physical and technical and tactical skills, you better be building up your ability to feel confident, to bring concentration at the moment of truth, and to be composed in the heat of battle when things go haywire, which they typically do, let's face it. So I think it's, it's very much the same skill set. It's just different in the degree to which the extent to which you you apply it yeah yeah it's just interesting because i kind of see both sides of these different worlds and you know as someone who works a desk job look i mean of course everyone who does this they want to put forth their best effort but at the end of the day there is not a requirement that only one person can succeed. You know, you can have a whole bunch of different companies, all of which compete against each other, and they can all be successful. There's no rule saying that only one person can succeed in the world of business. Whereas if you look at a competition, by definition, there very much is that rule. You know, you don't go to your office and find out that your boss has lined everyone up, given one person a gold medal and said the rest of you are a bunch of losers. But at a competition, that is by definition exactly what they're doing. And I've always thought, man, that's got to be tough because there's only one person who can win. Whereas if you are, I guess, a quote unquote normal person leading a normal life, you don't have that restriction. There's a lot of different ways to succeed. And I've always thought that that's got to be hard for people who choose to make a living out of being a competitor because, yeah, there's only that one spot. There's only one person who can truly be the winner. And that's very different from, I think, what happens in regular day-to-day -day life. Yeah, but you make a great point. Even those people who are competing, and there is only one gold medalist, you know, in the Olympics, there's only one Super Bowl champion, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. And if the achievement of that result is the one and only thing that matters to you, 
Well, then indeed, your sense of your personal value, your identity is pretty fragile because you don't control that outcome. How about defining yourself, not so much by whether you make that team or achieve that gold medal or win that Super Bowl, why don't you hang your identity on the quality of effort that you bring to the whole journey? You do control that. You can be really proud of yourself, the way you went about your business, the way you trained, the confidence and intensity that you brought to the competition. You can be proud of that. You can win that sort of inner game. When you do, you have your best chance to win the outer game, what the scoreboard says, what the win-loss record says at the end of the season. But if your entire sense of yourself, if your entire identity is solely linked, if you've put all your emotional eggs in that one basket, you're asking for trouble because you are more than just a jujitsu competitor. You know, I, and I would have said this to, you know, professional athletes competing at the highest level. You are more than just a football player, a hockey player, a world-class marathoner, an Olympic bobsledder. You're more than that. You're a wife, a husband, a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, a community member. They're, they're all, you have all of these things. There's more to life than just your competitive success. Not that I'm undervaluing competitive success because it is great, but it's not the only thing. And we got to be careful about that. We got to remember that, ladies and gents. Now, one last thing I want to ask you about here. One of the things I love about combat sports like jujitsu is there's a very short feedback loop. You know, if you, you know, darn quick how well you did. Yeah. If you make a mistake in jujitsu, you will know within half a second that you did the wrong thing. Yeah. And that is an interesting thing because the real world doesn't work like that, right? If I- Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, if I make a mistake, if I say something that offends you, for example, you may not tell me right then and there. I might not have known that I put my foot in my mouth. I may never find that out. You might secretly hate me for the rest of my life and I will never <laughs> know why. And that's one of the interesting things about the martial arts is you learn to get used to very very, very immediate feedback. And so the challenge that I know a lot of people will have is they'll say, look, doc, this all sounds great. But every time I go to the gym and I train, I know I suck because I get tapped out 10 times and I never have any success. What do I do? How do I establish confidence when all of the, the quote unquote evidence is that I'm just not good at this? I'm going in there and I'm losing every time. How do you build confidence when the real world is setting up all of this evidence that maybe you don't deserve it? Mm, okay. Well, if anybody is going to their jujitsu gym and getting tapped out each and every time they compete, I think you got to find a different sparring partner to work with somebody a little closer to your own level so that you do learn how to do it right and how to get it right rather than the only thing that you're learning is how to be a punching bag for somebody else. Find a partner at your own level and the two of you can sort of go back and forth and 
hopefully you will both improve in, in parallel. I think it would be very unfortunate just to go there and get the snot kicked out of you night after night after night after night and not have any glimpse of success. You got to be careful about that. Why put yourself in a constant no-win situation? Yeah. Maybe there's a different group or maybe there's a different opponent that you can work with. Or maybe you can handicap some of these other guys who have probably been going to the gym a lot longer than you, and they've got some experience, you know, a greater experience level. That's why they're, you know, that's why they're beating you. Maybe there's a way to handicap them. You know, they can't use a certain hold, or they have to work within a certain time frame, or maybe you get a certain advantage. You can be creative like that. You know, there is so much to be gained with a a combat sport martial arts experience. There's so much to be gained. Let yourself get it, okay? However much you have to. I remember years ago, I was in charge of a karate dojo at the University of Virginia in their club system. And there was a woman, a friend of one of our members, who was a hemiplegic. She was confined confined to a wheelchair. But she was still fascinated by martial arts. Was there a, how could we work our training system to accommodate her a little bit, you know? She had to stabilize one of her wheels with one arm while blocking and striking with the other one. I mean, you can be creative with these things so that everybody has a chance to grow. And I really think that's what martial arts are all about. It's funny. You bring up a, a very good example, which is that people tend to, you know, especially new people, they'll walk in there and they'll pick the biggest, meanest, angriest, most experienced person in the gym, and then they'll just get smashed. And then they'll say, ah, oh, why can't I beat them? I'm not good enough. Well, that person's maybe been training martial arts their whole life and you started last month. I mean, that might be part of the reason why you have to, like you said, find those training partners who will challenge you, but where you realistically, you're at least in the same stratosphere. Yeah. It's funny. I went to a seminar a while back and I won't name names, but at the end of the seminar, they did a Q&A and one of the people there expressed frustration and said, I train with this guy and no matter what I do, he always out wrestles me and it's really demoralizing and I can never win. I just get thrown around. I feel like I'm terrible at this. What can I do? And so, you know, we tried to give him some advice, but he kept just saying, nothing works, nothing works. What do I do? And we kept digging and digging. And at some point someone asked, okay, well, who is this person that's beating you up like this? Who is this person? And they shared his name and everyone immediately recognized his name because that person happens to literally be one of the best wrestlers on the entire planet. <laughs> and so the feedback we had to give was, well, okay, for starters, you're a white belt. You've been training for under a year. And the person you're trying to beat is one of the best wrestlers on the entire planet. You just so happen to be lucky enough that you landed in the same gym as this person. So for starters, you need to have reasonable expectations. If it were so easy to just walk into you know, a wrestling ring and beat one of the best wrestlers in the world, what would that really say for the sport? You know, there's a reason why they're beating you and it's okay if you're not at that level, at least quite yet. But that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means you're at a different stage in your journey and you shouldn't take that as a, a personal slight that you're bad at this. It just means this person's more experienced. Couldn't have said it better myself. Nice. Great story, Steve. <laughs> well, hey, I know we're, we're kind of getting to an hour here. Nate, before we tie this up, was there anything you wanted to share or talk about that we didn't get into yet, which you think would be useful? I'll just emphasize the importance of a fundamental human quality. It's called free will. You can think about whatever you want. This is the last of human freedoms. 
and some of the most inspirational stories in human history are about people who maintained a constructive, affirmative state of mind despite being a prisoner of war, unjustly incarcerated, a accident victim, combat victim. People have suffered tremendous physical pain, yet they have been able to maintain sovereignty over the moment. They have been able to choose their attitude. And even though something terrible has happened, they don't feel sorry for themselves. They feel they're going to have a great life. And we all have that free will, that human freedom. Let's exercise it for the betterment of one and all. Fantastic. Well, hey, if people want to learn more, I mean, I'll go ahead and plug it. I definitely recommend The Confident Mind by Nate Zinsler. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for people to find it. But beyond that, Nate, if people want to follow your work or maybe reach out to you for coaching or just otherwise know what you're up to, how can they go about doing that? There is a natezinser.com through which hundreds of people have contacted me over the last, well, ever since I set it up a little over a year ago. Feel free, ladies and gents, bring me questions. If you're curious in coaching, we might be able to set something up. Awesome. And I know that's a possibility because like I said, one of our mutual jujitsu friends actually connected me with you. So I know that that's a service that's benefited a lot of people. Like I said, I'll put those links in the show notes just to make it easy for people in case they're not sure how to spell the name. I'll also put a link to our stuff, bjjmentalmodels.com. Everything lives there, all 200 40 something episodes of the show plus our newsletter plus our amazing premium service i definitely recommend people check out our premium service if you haven't already there's some amazing coaching opportunities there if you're looking for feedback from really high level black belts that you don't normally have access to at your gym this is probably the best and most economical way to get that so again everything's at bjjmentalmodels.com i'll put a link to that plus all of nate's stuff in the show notes but nate thanks so much for coming by i was really looking forward to this chat all week and it definitely delivered so really appreciate having you on the show. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the opportunity and my best to all your listeners. Yeah, best, same for me. Best to everyone out there. Thanks for the time and attention. And we'll talk to you next week. Take care.